Welcome to Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. Here we explore the training and development of America's leaders in the application of air power and the profession of arms. The views expressed are those of the hosts and do not reflect the official policy or position of the United States Air Force, Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. Welcome back to another episode of Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. I am Colin Slade. And I'm Reed Gann, and we're your hosts for Commission Ed. And today we are joined by... Chief Master Sergeant Jermaine Evans. I go by Jay. I am the Home Center Command Chief, and I really appreciate you guys uh, inviting me on. Absolutely. We're excited to have you here, Chief. We're not going to call you Jay because you have earned, over your many years of service, the rank and title of Chief. I, absolutely. And uh, I tell you, like, I'm, I'm, I'm a real down-to-earth guy, but I've come to realize that uh, my nickname has turned into Chief regardless of where I'm at. I could be downtown eating dinner on the weekend and someone will come up like, hey, Chief, I'm like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> yeah, and just to reemphasize that point, obviously the audience can't see in the video feed, but you, between all three of us, are the only one that's in uniform right now because you're still working the Chief stuff right now. I, absolutely. Uh, with, you know, ATC uh, sessions are still... The, the one mission essential piece that's still going and for us here at the home center that's OTS so we actually just had a class come in uh, this week as a matter of fact so since uh, the, the teleworking started and, and everything is wrapped up and I can tell you down here in Alabama we really literally went from zero cases maybe about two and a half weeks ago to over I think 600 we're at now so things are really wrapped up down here but we still got that mission that we got to go through uh, for us OTS is the is the, the, the hot spot right now of making sure we can still get cadets in, we can still assess them, we can get those guys trained up and then get them up to commissioning, and then we'll see what happens after that. Uh, but there's, there's, there's a lot of folks that's teleworking. Um, I, I'd rather be here to, to put eyes on. And we appreciate you doing that for us, making sure that the Air Force continues to be able to meet its congressionally and constitutionally mandated mission. Yes. Absolutely. So first thing we're going to do here, Chief, we'll turn the time over to you to introduce yourself. Tell us about your background, where you're from, uh, how you grew up, what led you to join the Air Force, what your uh, very long and distinguished career in the Air Force has been like, what has got you to where you are now doing what you are doing. I'm sure the audience is very interested to hear how you got to this point. Absolutely. Uh, so, so for me, and I'll, I'll take you guys all the way back to high school uh, for me. So I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland. Probably once you get out to Harbor, one, not one of the best places uh, to go visit and, and, and go see. Don't regret anything I've been through, but uh, it, it was very uh, difficult time, I guess you could say. So, so I came into high school. So I was actually a product of JROTC. So it was kind of ironic, you know, I come to be the command chief of, of all of JROTC. Uh, but so what happened, the neighborhood I grew up in was, was a bad neighborhood. So coming up in middle school, I actually still was the one who was doing homework and doing my work and all that in school, which was different from everybody else. So in my middle school, I was like the 
these one of the smartest kids, the smartest, best kids. The teachers just loved me. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm great. Then I went to high school. And I made it to a high school in Baltimore where it's the top academic high school in Baltimore. And I, But the difference is I was around other smart kids then. Right. And I realized I wasn't as smart. So then I just, my motivation just went down. So I got that first report card that had C's, which is the first time in my life I had C's. So I just really stopped trying. The only thing that really I think I went through high school is probably JROTC. And also, um, I did four years of JROTC. Uh, and I tell cadets now that I don't remember any teacher from back in my high school, but Massar Jackson and Colonel Smith. And those are my JROTC instructors because they kind of kept me motivated. So I bring that part up because I was actually signed up in, for delayed enlistment uh, in 1997, and I didn't come in and graduate until 1998. So my whole plan, like I had literally one plan after high school, and that was going to the military, and uh, because there was nothing else for me um, that was there. So I actually, once I got me a part-time job, I think I went to work more than I went to school. That's how bad it was like back then. So. A uh, friend of mine who just retired not too long ago, he said, you know, Jay used to come to school just for the test, and then he'll pass him, and then he'll leave, and we're going to see him for a couple of days. Like, <laughs> it's like, how did you make it this far? I was like, I wasn't always a chief. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I went through uh, all that. So I literally graduated in uh, high school in June of 98, and I was in San Antonio at Lackland on 1 July 1998, and that's when wow. I came in to high school. Uh, so really just a couple weeks after graduating. So when I was there, you know, people were getting adjusted. People were yelling at you, this and that. And my whole thing was a lot of folks were saying, you know what, I don't need this. I'm going home. I don't have to deal with this. And me, I was like, well, I have nothing to go back home to. So I have to deal with this. So this is going to be my life for the next 20 years. So I'm going to do the best that I can with it. So my aunt, who was actually in the Army, because uh, I wanted to go to the Army, and she told me, no, you're not going to the Army. <laughs> <laughs> so you better look at the Air Force. And uh, so I said, okay, I looked at the Air Force. I was in Air Force Zero OTC. And, uh, and it turned out to be, for me, the best thing. And uh, so I got to basic training, and I'm sitting there, and they give us your books. And you stand in formation. When you're not doing anything, you need to be reading these books. So I got to the chapter of Chief Master Sergeant of the Air Force. And I was like, oh, this is the highest position for an enlisted person in the Air Force, you know what? That's going to be my goal. I'm going. I want to be a chief, right? Because if I'm gonna dedicate 20 years to this, then I want to be a chief. That's awesome. Uh, so that was my goal, like way back then. Had no idea what it took to get there, um, but I just know at the end of the day, I wanted to be a chief. Uh, so I, I went through basic training. I was assigned as an information manager back then at Three Alpha Zero. So again, um, I wanted to go to the Army. Got. I, I went to the Air Force. For me, the military was, I'm going to go and get a gun and I'm going to shoot at some things because that's, for me, that's what that military mindset was. And, uh, and uh, that's what people in the military do. And then I got an admin job. I'm sitting at the desk. And uh, so I said, okay, uh, <laughs> uh, see how this thing works. So I, I, I got an information matter. I go to Keys the Air Force Base, and I'm there for about three months because our classes, um, they're not ready for us yet. So they had other students they had to push through. I'm there for longer than what I needed to be, but everything was fine. I joined drill team, honor guard, all that good stuff. And I'm, I'm meeting new people, people from all over the United States. And you start to realize that like, this is a melting pot. Like everyone's coming from all over and you're meeting, meeting everyone. So I get to my, we get to the part where we have to do assignments. So again, and my whole thing, like everything happens for a reason, because I'm a product of everything happens for a reason, right? So I'm the only one in my class who does not want to go overseas. 
I guarantee you, I was the only one in my class that got an overseas assignment. So my first assignment <laughs> was over to uh, RAF Mosworth in England. And I was very appreciative at this time that I'm going to a country at least that they at least speak English. So I get to uh, I get to England, and I talk about like you know the rough beginnings and this and that. And I know I like I slacked off in school. I almost didn't graduate high school, but it wasn't that you know I I just didn't have motivation or this and that. Like my focus or what I thought was important at the time was working. So at work, I did good. Like I was one of the younger captains in the area and I already had leadership positions at the high school. But that was my focus because I didn't see it long term for school. I seen it more short term for I need to make money and this and that. So when I get to England and I get there and now this is my only job. This is the only thing I have to focus on. And also I'm, I'm leaving high school. I'm getting to England in my eyes i'm never picking up another book in my life because i hated school so much <laughs> it's and that i'm gonna just go and i'm gonna make me some money and then i'm going to party when i'm not at work and that's my whole mindset right and i get there and this i tell a lot of folks now like it is so important those first supervisors and those first bases that when you set that first impression up for the airmen they come there that will set the foundation for their career and their life and, and this is what they think and this is what the military is so i went to a joint unit and I had that structure. I had those people around me. And what also helped, I think, is because we're so small of a unit that's up there that E6 and below were all in the dorms. So it's not like the E3 and below, E4 and below that's in dorms now. It's like all E6 and below is in dorms. So we had everyone around us to kind of motivate us, to kind of mentor us. So that was probably the best assignment I could have went to. So I get there, and at the end of 98, and I'm working and I got all these great people around me and I'm in a joint world. So I get to see what the Navy does. I get to see what the Marines do, what the Army does. And, uh, and then we just get to sit around and we, we party together. We talk together. We really look out for each other. Um, and that's that military mindset that, you know, a lot of us uh, get to see, but some of us don't, unfortunately. So, uh, so I leave there and I'm there for two years. And I get there in 98 and then, like, I'm the Airman of the Year for 1999. So I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm getting recognized. Like the stuff that I just like doing, I'm like good at it. You know, <laughs> I'm getting recognized for this stuff. So of course, there's more motivation and, and all that stuff. So, um, so I leave there and I put on senior airman, and I get an assignment to Idaho. Now, uh, mind you, I said I'm from Baltimore, so there was nothing about Idaho that appealed to me whatsoever. So my supervisor at the time said, hey, go on Equal Plus. And me not knowing what Equal Plus is, he's like, that's where all the special duty assignments are. So I go in there and I'm working in the Intel unit. I got a top secret clearance. So I see an Intel job, or a, a, a job that requires a top secret clearance. I'm still admin guy. And and uh, there's a job down in Bowling Air Force Base in D.C. So I apply for that job. I get it. So I'm happy because I don't have to go to Idaho. So I get down to Bowling Air Force Base and I go to another Intel unit and, you know, I'm loving life. I'm, I'm, I'm close to home, but with traffic is far enough away where you're just not too close. You know, you just don't want to take that drive all the time. So I did that. And then that unit, not too long after I got there, went to deactivate. So they start giving us all assignments. We had to go somewhere else. Um, during this assignment, I got married to uh, someone I met when I was at my first base. And then she was stationed at Andrews at the time. So I was like, man, it's going to be hard for this joint spouse thing. So luckily, I was able to get a job up at Fort Meade um, working in the Intel world. And I was working in the comms squadron at the time. 
So I was uh, in charge of all the bass records uh, for that side of the, of the, of the bass, and, uh, which was a, a great job as well. Then after that, we both got assignment, me and uh, my then spouse got an assignment to uh, Lake and Heath. So we went back to England. And also, uh, not, not sure how, how that piece worked, but very fortunate to get to go back, go to a different base, a different mission. So one of the things about being admin, like I was saying, is the different jobs that you get to work at. So I started off there actually in the CE uh, unit as their admin person, their information manager. And I did that for a while. And it's, it's great because I tell you, as you go into different units and you get to see the cultures of different units, because you might see it as like the Air Force is the Air Force. But when you start getting into different squadrons and different units, you get to see the different cultures of those units. Uh, so I started off in a CE unit, and which was a shock for me because I've all, I've done all Intel and then you know call squadron around an Intel unit, and also that was some getting used to. And also with my job, a lot of our jobs are one deep, so you might only have one admin person, so you're not supervising people or any of that stuff. So you're you're just managing yourself pretty much. And then uh, I tell people sometimes your your commanders and them might not know what you do until you're not there. And then they realize the stuff that's not getting done that should have been getting done. And that's the life of an admin. And also, and I actually went through this inspection. And you say if you came down and inspected this, and I got through the inspection with no write-ups. So what happens when, you know, you do great jobs, they move you somewhere that's, that's jacked up, right? So they move me from <laughs> CE, and they move me over to the ops group. Yeah, no good work goes unpunished, right, Chief? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So I move over to the ops group, and they're getting ready for a uh, another inspection a couple months down the road. So I'm getting to learn like ops, and I'm getting to learn flying flying squadrons, and and now I'm working around pilots. So now I'm seeing a different piece of the whole Air Force mission. And then you know, uh, once again, like oh, you know that guy does great work. The command chief wants to hire you. So. Without, without any interviews or anything, I was actually sitting over at the academy and the command chief comes like, hey, uh, how do you feel about working for me? And before I can even answer, he's like, great, I'll see you when you get back. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, okay, so I'm going to be a command chief exec. Again, my perception was the command chief exec is the person that gets coffee and dry cleaners and stuff like that. And I was like, man, that's just not me. Like, I'm not that guy to be doing that, but I really don't have a choice. And turned out to be probably one of the best jobs that I could have had to open my eyes to a different level of the Air Force. Um, so when you you start to see how decisions are made, like usually at the lower level, you're looking at your your area of responsibility, and then decisions come down, and you're like, where did that come from? That makes zero sense whatsoever. So now I'm at that level where those wing level leadership decisions are getting made, and now I'm going to get a different perspective. So I loved it. So I did that for about a year and I made, at this time, I'm already um, scheduled to put on master. So I'm better to put on master sergeant and I'm starting to work around first sergeants and all that stuff because as the command chief exec, the command chief is the functional manager for all the installation first sergeants. So now you get to work with them more and more. And I never had any inclination to be a first sergeant. I really never had any dealings with being a first sergeant. And then as that process went through, it was like, ah, oh, you should you should think about you know, putting on a diamond. So we go through that whole process. And just to get me prepared, the command chief says, well, before you go to your own unit, I'll need you to get your experience. So he had me shadowing a couple of chiefs that was, or senior master sergeant at the time, that was over in the first, uh, in the med group. 
and then they actually physically PCA me over to the med group. And uh, and I'm getting into, you know, the behind closed doors part of the decision-making process. And as a first sergeant, and num- num- if you're not a 4A or 4N or the medical emphasis, you don't typically get to see the inner workings of the medical groups. And uh, then I'm in there and I'm seeing it, and I'm like, oh, I'm getting a whole different perspective of how this culture compares to like the CE culture or the ops group. And also uh, I'm there and, uh, and I'm learning and then I get my class date. So we PCS over to uh, Luke Air Force Base. But in between that PCS, I go to the first Sergeant Academy. And I'm there and at the time, like I'm the youngest person to ever go through this version of like the first Sergeant Academy. So I, I'm, I'm 10 years in. I'm about 27, 28 years old, and I'm about to put on a diamond, and I'm going to Luke Air Force Base to have my own unit. Uh, I, I go through the academy, and I go to Luke, and I go in civilian clothes, just trying to figure out, you know, where the layout is and everything. And people think like, oh, this airman is walking through. He must be some new guy that's coming here. So, 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 uh, so then I, you know, I come, and then I come back in uniform. They're like, oh, this is the first army. I'm like, yes. So the thing that I realized quickly is that. When you put that diamond on, no one cares or knows how long you've had that diamond on. They just know you're a first sergeant. So if you're a diamond for one day or you're a diamond for five years, they expect you to know certain things. And I'm like, okay, I need to figure this thing out. And I, I tell you, I've made mistakes, uh, but my goal was not to make them twice. And uh, but what I found out is, you know, people just want you to care, right? They just want you if you take a genuine interest in somebody and their issues and their problems, their families. Um, that's half the problems that you have to, um, or half of the success that you'll need as being a first sergeant. But again, one of the best jobs that I've ever done in the Air Force is being a first sergeant because there's no really an operational mission for me. Like my job, my number one job is just to take care of people. And for me, that's easy by that time, right? So I don't think I get to the point where I'm at uh, without other folks taking care of me. Right, so now it's like, okay, this is easy. I can pay it forward to the folks who's going to come behind me eventually. Right, so when I talked about the different uh, cultures of each organization as a shirt, there's also there's still that same culture, that same type of issues that you'll deal with. So you could be a shirt for five years in a unit uh, where you're dealing mainly with maybe domestic violence or suicides, but then a whole other unit, like they're dealing mainly with drugs and you're picking up the phone, calling. You might be calling a yeah, five-year shirt, calling a, a shirt that's been only had a domino for two years. But your issues have been so different that you rely on each other so much to be able to pass information and say, hey, let me bounce this off of you. Or how did you handle this and so forth? So luckily for me, because we've had a, a very great shirt council when we were there. So we was able to do all that stuff and, and try to make each other better as well as taking care of everyone. Uh, so, I mean, I'm loving this job. And once again, you know, that time came up about 12 plus months in the seats. And they like, hey, you know what? We need you over at Aircraft Maintenance. So just to give you some perspective of this, I started off in the med group. And I'm ending my first sergeant tour in a maintenance group, a maintenance squadron. You talk about two totally opposite ends of the spectrum. You know, the med group, like, and, and no disrespect to the med group. It's not a bad thing, but they are more, they are, they're happy, they're, you know, give me a hug, uh, everything's great, let's go do some bake sales and this and that, and we take care, which is great because it's a customer service type uh, uh, unit. I got to aircraft maintenance, and I'll tell you, like, I was 
driving back and forth to uh, Miramar, which is a, a, a jail, picking up folks and dropping people off. I'm dealing with drugs. Uh, you know, it, it's like the whole gamut. And, and you realize that we'll talk about a little bit more later, the communication piece. I can communicate with this group of folks in a whole different way so they can get and they understand me and we can relate versus, uh, you know, you go to a group like a maintenance unit or maybe a security forces unit where you have to be a lot more direct because they won't understand anything else but directness, right? So you, you got to navigate kind of through that piece. And uh, so, I, you know, I did that and I tell you, I can I, I can grow my beard out and you can see all the gray hairs that I have. And I got that in those three years of being the first sergeant. So I got to the point where I'm loving my job so much. And I know when I originally talked to a Comanche, Jeff Williams, who I used to work for, he said, you should do three years, but make sure you take the diamond off for three years. And I got to that point where I got to make that decision on whether I should take that diamond off and I really want to keep it. So I was down to the last minute and I give him a call and I say, look, I know you said I should take it off in three years, but I really love being a first sergeant. And he kind of broke it down. His, his advice was you can do a lot more as an E8 or E9 than you can just wearing a diamond. And so I took that advice. And later on, that, at that time, I trusted his word, although I wasn't fully in on what he was telling me. But I took his advice because he's a lot more experienced and he knows what he's doing. So I took the diamond off. Uh, as I took the diamond off, I uh, had the assignment to go to Yokota Air Base in Japan. So uh, I'm, I'm at Yokota, and that's when I was telling you, uh, I get to Yokota and you really, that island of that base is, you know, you, you can communicate very well. If you never took Japanese before and you try to go off base, it is a challenge. So for a while, I didn't leave the base, like no further than going like right outside the gate to get anything. So one day I had the bright idea, you know what, we're going to go to Tokyo. And, I, and by this time I have two kids as well. I got uh, two little boys. Um, so I had a friend come in and they wanted to visit. And I was like, you know what? We're not going to take the train. We're just going to drive. I'm getting used to driving down there. Six hours later, as I'm lost trying to get to, you know, from Tokyo to get back to the base, uh, I realized that maybe this wasn't the best idea. So, uh, but I tell you, after that six hours of being lost, I didn't get lost again after that. So then I was able to realize, okay, this GPS system is not going to work when you get through a tunnel. These maps, like I cannot, you know, pull over and ask somebody for directions because I don't know how to speak or hear Japanese that well. And uh, so that was kind of motivation. Like, you know what, I'm going to learn Japanese. But now I know my surroundings, and, you know, not being afraid or, or, uh, or scared to kind of get out and explore those cultures because a lot of people don't get to experience that type of stuff. Um, I was appreciative of my kids who lived in England and lived in uh, D.C. and and Arizona and now Japan that they get to experience that type of stuff. Cause a lot of kids don't get to experience that stuff. So we went through three years of that. So I go there and I take my diamond off and I go back to my career field is now a 3D, which is a knowledge operator now. So they, this whole transition happened when I was outside the career field. So now I go back as a master sergeant and I'm in charge of this section and I have been out the game for a couple of years now. And also now I'm trying to get back in the game. And not only that, I, I'm sitting in the comm squadron. I'm over there in knowledge job section, but I have 12 Japanese nationals that work for me as well. And also 12 Japanese nationals and uh, two military folks at the time. And also I'm trying to like 
you know, wrap my head around this thing. But there's one thing I know, like I'm a checklist person. So I jump into the squadron and getting ready for an inspection. I'll say, so ready for inspection? I got this. Give me a checklist. We're going to make it what we need. We're going to fix everything that we got. We're going to be ready for this inspection. And, and that's what I do. But I've come to realize that while I was there, the Japanese culture, they're, they base a lot of respect on your age, right? So I'm one of the, these young guys coming in saying, hey, this is what we need to do. But all my Japanese nationals are at least 15 years older than me, right? So now I'm learning that like, I have to communicate this in a different way where they don't feel disrespected or anything like that. So I, it's another thing that you got to kind of overcome. And three years within that squadron, although I moved up from the knowledge ops sections to what we call the SEO3, which has like knowledge ops and then the SEC, and then I move up to the flight chief uh, level or the ops suit level. And now I'm in charge again of calm areas that I've never dealt with before. They're talking about radar. We're talking about uh, the, the cyber system guys and this and that. I was like, I have no idea what you guys do. So I'm telling them like the master sergeant that's under me, uh, you will, you will give me the answers that I need in the way that I like, like being honest. And if you don't know it, just say you don't know it, but I cannot, it was hard in a calm world to go back and pick up a book and say, no, that's wrong. What you tell me, right? Cause it's so technical and all. Uh, so, uh, so it was really like, you know, you got to build teams, you got to be able to depend on each other, the trust and all that good stuff. During that time when I was in your code, I also deployed to uh, LUD, which was a, uh, a great and um, good experience if you have been to LUD. So I uh, get there and I'm working in a maintenance group now. So I'm working in their maintenance group and this is my first time uh, at the maintenance group level. So I'm working directly for the commander in a deployed environment and you're literally working six days a week. And, and I've been dying to deploy this whole time and I finally get my deployment. I'm just so happy and I get there. I mean, it's besides the heat and maybe the driving off base, Everything else was great. If you've been to IUD, if you've driven off base, you know that there's zero traffic rules whatsoever. Yeah, it, it's survival of the fittest for sure. It, exactly. Like if you are like, oh, I'll let this person go, you'll be stuck wherever you're at like, <laughs> for hours. And also um, being, in, being from D.C. or the Baltimore area and being in D.C., like there's a lot of aggressive drivers. So I turned out to be the driver for our group. So me and our deputy commander, every week we would find the new people who came in who haven't been off base, who've just been grinding, 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 and they need that getaway, that relax, and we would get a van and we would take them off base. We would take them down to the mall. We we would do all that type of stuff. So we had a very uh, great relationship, great deployment, uh, loved it. Um, then I get back to uh, Yokota and I have a little bit of time, and then I'm getting ready to uh, PCS to Alaska. So. All I know about Alaska is that it's cold. That is all I know, right? <laughs> so I'm watching, I'm packing up my house and I'm watching AFN and there's this show on that's talking about bloods and crypts in Alaska, in Anchorage, Alaska. And I'm like, isn't it too cold to, like, for violence in, <laughs> in Alaska? Like, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. So I started researching, researching, researching. So one thing I found out is, like, Alaska, it gets extremely cold. But their summers are one of the best summers that you'll find anywhere, like anywhere you go. You're talking about 23 hours of daylight, um, like nice weather. If you're an outdoor person, like you probably will never leave Alaska because everyone likes to go out hunting and fishing and this and that. 
And uh, me, I was not an outdoor person, but I loved it. Um, me and my kids would go, and they were deep in the sports, so we could always go out and find sports. You just have to adjust to, like, the the times of the year because the sports are adjusted based on the weather. So you have to adjust, like, okay, here we'd be playing baseball right about now, but we can't. We have to wait a couple of months, so what else can we do type thing? Another big um, – my whole priority in my life is my kids. So everything, if they're into sports, we're all into sports, and that's what we do. And we're all very competitive, so it gets very competitive in the household. Um, so we get up to Alaska, and this is my first time. And I don't think besides working base records management, is the only job that I've done twice. Um, so as I leave from uh, Japan up to Alaska, I'm going to Alaskan Command, which is FISCA and Homeland Defense. Never worked this stuff before, not. Like, I, I know what it is, but it's like, I know it. That's it. But once you get into it and you're learning, like, all the ins and outs of it, which is great about going to different units and different cultures, like, now you get to learn another piece of the Air Force mission. So I get up to Alaska, and, again, like, I'm stuck. So I'm, like, the, the admin guy. Mind you, I'm an E8 by this time. So I'm an E8, and I'm going, and I'm doing staff work, which was another adjustment. Like, so... You, you get humble, like you don't have to. If you're EA, you're not going to a unit all the time, but you have all these airmen that you're gonna be over. You could be the lowest person, like lowest ranking person, which I was. Well, actually, not the lowest ranking person, because I had a couple of enlisted folks um, that was in the unit as well. Um, but you're working with a whole bunch of, you know, majors, lieutenant colonels, colonels, and a whole bunch of civilians, right? So now you have to adjust that, you know, I'm not coming in to run this whole thing. I'm coming in to do my part of the mission. And uh, so my mission was, uh, you know, task management, SharePoint, records, stuff like that, that I had to kind of get used to. And uh, But as that time grew, uh, we had our unit, which was Alaska Man, which was a joint unit. We had ANR, Alaska NORAD region, which was a binational unit. And then we had 11th Air Force, which was a NAF. Um, so we're all working in one building. Um, so what you realize is, you know, as you're a CNCO, like, it's not the folks that's under you, it's the people that's around you as well. Um, so I had that opportunity of being able to provide that leadership to those folks that was there and get to know their mission and to kind of help out overall and then still be able to get to know uh, the Homeland Defense piece and the DISCA piece, which DISCA, the Defense Support of Civil Authorities, um, and how the military actually um, interacts with the civilian uh, agencies that, you know, earthquake happened here, which happened a lot in Alaska. Uh, earthquake happened. Uh, what do we do? Right. And then it, it's not, of course, it's not waiting until the earthquake happens. It's like we got to exercise this thing. So we had several exercises throughout the year, very big exercises. We had state exercises. We had joint exercises. Um, and then you realize how close Russia is to you while you're up in Alaska as well. Right. So all that stuff is, is you're working. It's like all brand new to me. But I'm enjoying it because, you know, I'm learning something new. Um, it's tough in the beginning because I think the hardest part of a job is when you first get there and you don't know it. And now you're trying to figure out this job. And that's usually gets to be like the hardest part. Like, I hate not knowing. All right. So once you get past that piece, then, you know, everything's golden and everything's great. And, you know, while I'm up there um, in this assignment, I make chief in Alaska. So then I... I'm still doing that job, but now I'm moving up as the uh, the army will call it like a commandant, but for us it's like a senior enlisted leader for the chief of staff of that command. 
And uh, so now I'm in that position and I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Uh, one thing that you'll find out about us admin guys is that we don't grow up, say, like in the FSS where we've done this type of work the whole time and now we can grow up from the FSS to the MSG to, so, you know, units like that. For us, we're so spread out that we won't, there's no unit that's just full of admin folks that you can move up in. So all of our leadership jobs are typically in a um, kind of off like type unit. So for me, I was fortunate enough that I could be in a joint unit and then promote into a leadership position to kind of get more experience and get more uh, perspectives and all. So I did that for a while. I worked for Army Colonel uh, Mike Forsythe, um, and probably one of the best leaders that I've ever worked with uh, before. You look at, you know, you say Army Colonel, and you probably think of a gruffy person who has their coffee and going around yelling at folks in the morning. He he was not that guy. He he now I'll tell you he wasn't the guy that you wanted to uh, upset either. But on the day to day, he was just that that very. He understood leadership and he understood people and he understood um, getting the mission done. And also I learned a lot from him working under him. But I go into how our admin jobs are very hard uh, for us when it comes to assignment and moving up because I'm sitting there and I make chief and I still have a year left on this assignment, but I have nowhere to go. And also they keep sending me, the chief group is sending me emails saying, hey, you're a surplus, you're over, uh, start looking at jobs. And I could not get a job to save my life. And uh, so it came down to, um, they said, hey, the only thing we can do is that we can put you in another admin position for the guy who is going to retire the soonest. And that way when he retires, you can move in. And I didn't like that. I didn't like that. I'm not going to share a job with a guy like I want to be like, I want to be doing chief things now. Like <laughs> I want a unit. I want to be able to, uh, to be able to have airmen and this and that. Uh, so that's when the home center and ROTC were just bringing the chief positions online. So I said, hey, um, I would rather extend here in Alaska and apply for one of those positions um, than go and get double billet with another chief somewhere else, uh, which is what happened. So I got hired as the uh, the Northwest Region uh, Superintendent. So what's good about that is uh, for those folks who don't know ROTC, so you have your debt level, and then you have your region level, and then you have the headquarters level, and then you have home center. The first chief or first sergeant for the airman that was down at the debt level was all the way at the home center. So you're talking about three levels that you would have to go through to talk to a chief or to talk to a first sergeant, right? So and if you look at ROTC, we're talking about 145 different detachments, right? So you have one chief for all of ROTC, all of OTS, all of junior ROTC, um, which, of course, created a lot of, uh, there were gaps with professional development. There's gaps with um, just the overall taking care of those um, staff sergeants, those tech sergeants that's down in detachments. And uh, so I get this job, and I'm the first chief to, to sit in one of these positions. Right, so I'm pretty much making the job because there's there's no continuity, there's nothing like I'm going in like what what's required. Uh, my first sergeant was I think I believe the first first sergeant that may have gotten that position. They were there a year prior to us, right? So now you got four regions with shirts and and chiefs that's now sitting in the seat, and it's like okay, what is it that we need to do type thing? And I and I enjoyed that. Um, the hardest part was for me. Being a former first sergeant, as I can't get from behind my desk and just go walk and see everything, right? Because there's one thing to talk to him over the phone or to see him, and I say, hey, how are things going? Things are good. 
right? But you can look at them and like things aren't good because I see you yesterday and I see you and things are good and right now things are good. So that was the hardest part of, of that job. But I, I really enjoyed it, everything that we were able to do because there was a lot of things that needed to be done. And then I think that for that one year that I sat in that position, I was on the road literally for six months of that one year, right? So there's a lot of frequent flyer miles, a lot of uh, hotel points, all that good stuff, right? Um, but uh, it, it all, it, it was all worth, like, it was it was draining. Like, I would need a day when I got back. But once I was out there, like, it was it was great. You know, I, I would go out for, like, a week or so, come back, go visit a or two, come back. And I would go visit the host spaces as well. So one of the gaps, I believe, was the relationships between the vets and the host spaces. So I would make sure that I would go out to those host bases and say, hey, um, I know you've heard of ROTC because I've heard of ROTC as well. But let me tell you more about ROTC, right? Because I can tell you when I got the ROTC job, I was like, oh, that's easy. ROTC's been around for forever. You know, uh, it's a well-oiled machine. Everything is good to go. And you get there and you're like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, in a regular Air Force, we do it this way, right? Or or, or, or something. So, um, so it, there was a lot uh, of that, but there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes to make this thing run the way it does, right? So uh, enjoyed that time being in ROTC. Uh, and while I was in ROTC, so I had the bright idea, hey, instead of going out, one week at a time, I'm going to just block out like a month, right? And then I'm going to go out and I'm going to visit vets and host bases as much as possible. And then I'm going to come back and then I'll be able to get some work done and try to fix a lot of the issues that we got going on, or at least try to mitigate as, as much as I can. So while I was doing that one month road trip, and I think that's when I came down to debt 855 during that time of February that year. And then during that trip is when, so I already made the command chief list during that time. So for us in the Air Force, like it's around November, December, that command chief list comes out and you find out if you made the list. So I made the list during that time and they were actually pushing me for a job. I believe it was at my night that they were pushing me to try to get for a job. So I'm researching uh, that job and you just got to wait to see if you make the interview process. Uh, during that trip, uh, I was told like, hey, General Nehemiah, the commander of the home center, uh, wants to do an interview for you for the home center command chief job. And I was like, oh, okay, that's that's great. You know, I, I was like, hey, I'm, I'm TDY now. He's like, oh, we can only do it this day. I was like, okay. So I get to one of the, the deaths, I believe it was in Kansas or Nebraska. I think it was in Kansas. And I was like, hey, I know we supposed to, supposed to start our visit, but I got to do an interview real quick. Can I go to a conference room? And they hook me over to the conference room, and I, I do the uh, the interview, and he hires me uh, then. And uh, but then I had to wind up cutting that short because I had to go back to start PCS. And uh, so I cut the last week out short. I go back, I start PCS and I come back and then I get to uh, uh, down here in Maxwell to the home center uh, command chief job. So the great thing I love about this job and I, I get to brag on this job to uh, other chiefs and other command chiefs as well, because I say, hey, you know, it was great before because I got the mentor and I got to talk to airmen, right? Now I got the opportunity. I get to go to universities and colleges, and I get to call it to the debts, right? And then, you know, when I'm done with that, I get to go to high schools, and I get to talk to those JLTC cadets and say, and, and hey, by the way, I was sitting in your shoes about 20 years ago, you know, and I wasn't that guy that got all the straight A's, but the light eventually went off, and then this is what I've done since then to make it to where I'm at now. And also, uh, so that's, that's, that's kind of where I'm at now.
I probably took up the whole 90 minutes with that story. Oh, no. That's great great rundown. I think one of the things that's so great about your career is you've interacted with so many different career fields, officer and enlisted on both sides. So I can't think of a better person to help us and our audience work through the differences, right? Something Colin and I have, have mentioned on the podcast before and something I would help try to mentor my prior enlisted cadets when I was an instructor at OTS is there is a difference and that difference is, is important. And I wonder if you could kind of speak to that, your perspective on the difference between, you know, between officer and enlisted and why that difference matters and what our audience should know as they think about that. Right. So I think part of the difference, um, so when you get to this, the level I'm at now, they really push uh, strategic level thinking uh, to, uh, towards us. I think they do it with the officers a lot earlier, and there's a reason why. So if you look at the demographics for the Air Force, so we're sitting around, uh, what, 322,000 or something like that, right? Out of those 322,000, there's 66,000 officers, which the rest are enlisted, right? So you got 66,000 officers leading over 200,000 plus uh, enlisted folks and all. So there's a lot more to us than there is of you all, but you guys are in charge. You guys are the leaders by uh, legal authority and, and everything. And I explained to my senior CEOs and all, like I'm, I'm a command chief and there's a lot that comes with that. But at the end of the day, I'm an advisor. Like as an enlisted person, I'm an advisor because those, those officers, those commanders are the ones who want to make that decision because they have that legal authority to do that. Um, so with, with the officers, it's, it's more than just, you know, you got a degree, you can go and do uh, such, such like it's more than just degree. It's just the, it's the authority that the officers have. But on the other side, the, the enlisted force is, is not the enlisted force, I guess, that even 20 years ago when I came in. The enlisted force now is, is so much more educated. It's so much more like the experience levels. Um, these folks are coming in and they've already either done, maybe have done some college, maybe have worked for some Fortune 500 company or something like that. And they're coming in and they're bringing in all this experience, right? So, but, you know, sergeant, you know, the rise from the verb to serve, right? We are the ones that are serving. We're the workers and this and that. And not just the workers, we have so much more of that experience and that leadership as well. Um, so why I think it's the authorities um, that separates us is, is there's no way a unit would be able to function without that teamwork, that gelling of those two coming together and, and, and working together to be able to, to do that mission. When that part is separated and we think, hey, um, you know, I'm an officer, uh, so I, it's my word and it's my way of the highway. And then the enlisted folks are like, well, he's doing his own thing. It's not that it's that vibe. It's, it's not going to work. It's never going to work. Um, but when they work together and the experiences and everything uh, from one side can go through and help the person who's going to be that decision maker. And that's basically how me, I look at it is that officer is either a commander or a future commander, possibly, or someone that's in charge. And they're going to need that experience and that um, advice from those senior enlisted people or your, uh, or your junior enlisted people as well. Um, to be able to make decisions that's going to affect uh, a lot. Depending on what your mission is, it could affect a lot. Uh, it could affect lives as well. Yeah, that's absolutely what I'm, you know, what I'm wondering is 
you know, we go through these training programs, USAFA, ROTC, ROTS, and we, we learn about the, the physical differences manifest on our chest or collars, right? We got these different rank things and we understand positional authority and, but it's more than that. And that, I think you covered it. I think you covered it. It, yes, it's, it's a division of labor. There's specific roles. They have different positions for a reason. And ultimately, like you said, an officer is responsible for those decisions, but they are not doing their job if they are not listening to every bit of advice, if they're not listening to all the folks that are around them that have that experience. And, and, and yeah, that your perspective is really excellent. And, and you've seen it on the op side with, you know, pilots and aviators. You've seen it on the intel side. You've seen it on maintenance and med group. And, and so you've really got a breadth. And, and so, yeah, I, I think that's absolutely what we're what we're looking for is, is what is that difference? I think you covered it really well. Uh, uh, one of the things, uh, like when I go to the detachment or if I speak into an OTS class, and, and that's one of the questions that they ask me is, you know, what should I do as a brand new lieutenant to when I go into my unit? And as a chief, my first advice, because this is what we're charged with as well, is I say, hey, you go find that, that enlisted person that you're going to work with, that senior enlisted person within your section, and you tie yourself at the hip. If you go in and say, you know what, I'm an officer, I got my degree, this is how we're going to do things, you're going to fall flat on your face, right? And it's going to be evident to everybody, right? But if you go in and say, you know, if you mesh your, your authorities and your talents with that senior enlisted person's experience and, and all the things that he's done and all the things that he or she has seen, um, you're going to be a well-oiled machine because you're going to work together as a team. And you need that team, that experience from one person and then the authorities of the other to come together and be able to lead airmen and accomplish the mission. Can I make a bumper sticker of that? Seriously, that's like the best <laughs> advice I've ever seen. I've written it down. If you take your authority and talents, merge it with an enlisted member's experience and knowledge, that's a key for success. Mic drop, Chief. Mic drop. <laughs> Yeah, we could definitely leave it right there. We're not going to, but definitely that's some of the best advice that you know, certainly I've ever heard and really want our audience to internalize that, uh, use that both in their Air Force experiences, but apply that more broadly into you know what they're doing in high school or college, or maybe they're uh, in the commercial private sector world is take the authority that you have, but combine it with, with someone who's got more experience and that way you can really make magic happen. And kind of on that note, chief, I kind of want to ask a same or a similar question to what Reed has asked, but put a slightly different spin on it. We, so we understand from you the difference between the, the officer and the enlisted roles, but just want to do the thought experiment real quick on what the Air Force might look like or how things might be different if we didn't have that structure, the enlisted and the officer side. What if we were all just enlisted or if we were all officer? How might that change the way that we are uh, able to operate for good or for bad? That's a good one. Uh, <laughs> um, so the way I look at it, and just looking back at at history, you you have to have that uh, person who's going to have nothing but 
to have all the responsibilities and the authorities and all that stuff that they have. For the enlisted side, could some of the senior enlisted uh, folks, the chiefs, be just as effective as officers? Yes. But in the same way I look at it, some of our, uh, I would say our deck commanders, some of them say, hey, you know what? They shouldn't be deck commanders because they don't have this experience. I said, no. Um, they've been groomed up for their positions that they've, they've, they, the Air Force has asked them to do. So whether they've been in uh, acquisitions or something like that, where they have the Air Force has said, I need you to do this, and now we put them over in this job, it's not that they're bad people, it's just they haven't had the experience, they wasn't groomed yet because, you know, this is not an FSC for anybody. The list of folks, we have our uh, professional development. We're trained to be, if, if you're going to go and make it the chief, we're grooming you for be a chief. We're grooming you for this. And we're grooming you officers for this because those lines, not that the lines are different, that like you're different people, but your authorities, your responsibilities, and all that good stuff are just different. Um, so do I think that we should have just one? No. Do I think that we could probably, um, if we was the streamline and we all came up, as one, and then we kind of split based off what people desires and skills and abilities to do. I think that would be feasible down the road, or that would be like my, if I could change one thing and wave a wand, maybe that might be different because now I get to see, before I was super focused, like this is a listen, 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 this is how I listen, get assessed and trained and so forth and so on. Now I get to see how the office is done and I can see it's, it's different. Like we, there's one way enlisted folks come in and there's three ways that officers come in, right? And so to see how that whole thing works now, I get it, but I, I can see it differently uh, down the road. But to just have, you probably could just have one. I think it's just to be a lot of training and, and more professional development versus if you groom somebody to be, uh, hey, if you want to come on the this side, then yes, you can. But now I have to train you differently or, or make your mindset differently and so forth and so on. I don't know. I think maybe maybe I'm just old school thinking and all that. And I'm so used to being seeing it this way. I, I don't know. Maybe it could work. Maybe it could work if we had just one. I don't know. Let me come back to that. Because that was, that was a tough one. Yeah. <laughs> I've never thought of that be before. Um, you didn't put that on his checklist of questions. <laughs> so to be fair to the chief, that was kind of out there, but. No, I, th I think that I think that's a really good answer, and and one that I don't know, Colin, that I've thought about per that perspective before is that that kind of there's a different role and responsibility that officers can take on, and we need to start that development sooner, perhaps, and have it be a longer cook, if you will. It takes a little bit longer to to get somebody there. I don't know. I thought that was good. I thought that was a really good answer to that question you weren't prepped for, Chief. Come on, Colin. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so I'll, I'll tell you guys, uh, you guys, the first ones I'll, I'll tell this. So this is like some late breaking uh, news. So I was I was sitting here one day and someone asked me, actually, I was with the Army a couple of months ago, and they talk about how all their folks go through their, their like, kind of like their basic um, uh, training or whatever. So, you know, I'm, I'm thinking outside the box. What if every person that came in the military went through basic training and started off as enlisted? Right. And then if everyone went through basic training, we start off as enlisted and then about the E4, E5 rank or maybe about the, the six to eight year time frame, we decide, hey, uh, could this person 
should continue this route or should maybe we, we start building our officer force from that group of people? Now you've already had six to eight years of being a person who's actually turning the wrenches and you can see, you know, that super, like the technical level of work and what it takes to be an airman in, in the military. And now we spun you off and now you can go and get commission if you would like the commission or if you got the whatever criteria that we come up with and say, you know what, he meets that criteria. We think he'll be good in this position to do this. Now we want to spin you off to be an officer, right? That was just some like some top level thinking. Like so, now we got to look at okay, what happens with the rest of the enlisted force? Does that mean that you're not as good and this and that or whatever the case may be? That might be some problems and issues I thought of. But if we just started off at that point, would that make things better? Not that it's bad, but would it like enhance the way things are? So preach. I'm buying. Oh, oh my word. Yeah. So chief, this is something that I have already like whiteboarded for many years. I love that other people are thinking this way. And I think the shared common experience of the training environment that is basic training is a touchstone for our entire enlisted force. All the, like you said, 280 plus thousand folks that most of our officer corps cannot relate to our training experiences are different. And I think the thing that really helped me turn the corner on this was when I was at OTS, we had the distinct privilege of having military training instructors, MTIs, as part of our training experience, both as a cadet and then when I went back as an instructor. That experience working with those incredibly talented professionals, I had already felt when I had commissioned that I was missing out on something and I really respected my prior flight mates at OTS when I was going through. I respected them a lot. I, I was keenly aware that they had something I did not and that there was some value there. And then when I went back to OTS as an instructor and I'm working with these MTIs much more closely as staff, I felt it even more acutely. And so I'm already kind of in that place. I've been there for a while. I, I've already pitched on this podcast. I think every single person who enters the military should go through their services basic training, and then we should pick the officers from amongst that group. And I think we can get over money issues. I think we can pay people if they have things that we want. You know, if you have a degree, you can still get paid more. If you, you know, all those kinds of things, I think we can get around it. But yeah, I think that singular experience of basic training together that you can look every airman in the face and say, I know exactly what you've been through and where you got to and what you've been through to get where you are. I think that would be really valuable. So I love it, chief. I'm buying. I have zero authority or power in this area, but I'm, I'm buying. So yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I, 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 I think it does alleviate a lot of stuff. But, but again, I go back to, I think been in this job for a year now and I get to see how, the different officers are assessed. And then the year prior being in ROTC, but I was at the Air Force Academy when I was at the ROTC. So to see how the Air Force Academy uh, works, to me, I kind of take a step back and look like, you know, there's three different sources that's competing one product that we all want. And this wasn't my idea, but I kind of heard it and I kind of started running my brain through this, that if we had one command that took care of from the time that we recruit them to the time that we train them and assess them, 
and one command is doing all of this, right? So if you got AFRS, the, the folks in Second Air Force, um, BMT, the Academy, ROTC, OTS, all answered to one commander, and all those resources were there to to kind of focus on that. Then, to me, if I could wave a wand, that would be the future of what officer sessions, all, all the sessions would be. I'm buying. Again, I don't have any power or authority to make this happen. <laughs> but, but please, whoever's listening, let's do this. Let's make it happen. Let's make this work. <laughs> We're big fans, Chief. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I got a couple more fans. But it's, it's you two and then my kids. That's about it, probably. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I I think you've built some rapport and uh, you've established credibility with within AETC. I, I think that it, it's not so much uh, it, is there a listening ear. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that General Nimai uh, General Nimai would listen to you. Pretty sure that uh, you know General Hacker and General Webb. I think I think they would at least listen to you. But obviously, Reed and I have never been in that type of position. We don't know exactly what it is that those generals, what type of pressures they are dealing with. But I imagine that there is something coming from the top telling them that this is the way that things have to be, whether that's you know, half A1, uh, saying this is the way it's got to be, the CSAF, maybe it's congressional, maybe there's some some actual legal you know, U.S. Code Title Ten type of stuff that's saying it must be this sort of way. So maybe it, it, it's not as easy as just snapping your fingers and you know sh shifting things around on an org chart. But I imagine that there there has to be a, a way. It's just you got to talk to the right people and get the right processes in order to make something like that happen. Oh yeah, that that would definitely be a, a heavy lift. I, I would probably definitely be retired by the time if anything like that was to happen. <laughs> yeah, tough problem, but I love it. Good stuff. All right, Colin. Sorry, I'm just all a buzzer over here. You know, it's pretty got me pretty excited. So, man, good stuff here, Chief. This has been really fantastic. Uh, one thing we like to do with a lot of our guests is ask what their leadership philosophy is. You know, if, if you had to hand out a piece of paper with, you know, your whatever, however you want to boil it down or however you want to share with our audience, like what's your leadership philosophy? What's the, how, how do you approach leading airmen? Yes. So, so let me start off with this. So when I first got here and I'm, I'm dealing with my folks here, my enlisted folks and, and CGOs as well. So you take all of that diversity and, and different ranks and all that good stuff. And then you take into account, like I said, the the college cadets and then you take into account our high school cadets. And what is it that I want to tell them about leadership? So I boiled it down to these these few things. Um, that I think that regardless of what level you're at, uh, if you start off like this, you will be, you, you got a lot of the leadership piece down already. So we talk about how the, that paradigm of leadership how back in the day leadership was that type a put your finger in somebody's chest type thing and, and that's what they considered that's what that was the leader right um and now that that whole paradigm has changed to that servant leadership type type piece so now you're looking at that organizational structure and you're flipping it upside down 
uh, and the leaders are on the bottom because the folks that's at the top that's actually getting the work done, right? So we're we're in that servant leadership type thing, and uh, so I say, hey, not all of us are what they consider quote unquote born to lead or this and that, but we may be in leadership positions. So how do we navigate through that? So first thing I say is you you have to first lead yourself, and that's leading by example, right? Lead lead by example. You have no idea how you are, you could be affecting someone else because what you're doing and they may see you and be like, oh, you know what? That's what maybe what I should be doing. Or that's what I should have did. Just from your actions, like you haven't said a word yet. You don't have to be that charismatic person. You don't have to be the loudest person in the room. You just have to do what's right. Right. And people will follow you that follow you. And you might not know who's following you because they just saw you do something. And it's like, you know what? That's what I want to do, or that's what I want to be, or I should have did that. And you will never have any idea that you've had that effect, right? But you can control that. You can 100% control leading by example because you're only controlling yourself, right? So that's the first thing that I tell folks, um, especially when you're in high school because, you know, a lot of them, they could be quiet. They might not have, you know, developing through um, that full part of themselves where they're comfortable with leading people. And uh, and I saw them, first things first, lead yourself. Lead by example. And you will never know like the effect that they may have on other people. Uh, the second thing that I say is uh, be genuine. So a lot of folks, they see like a great leader and then they, they turn around and it's like, you know what, I want to be that person, right? And I tell folks like my experiences that got me to where I'm at led me to be able to help other people. Right. But that's not your experiences. Your experiences that you're going to go through are going to be able to help develop who you are and you'll be able to use those experiences to help somebody else down the road. So you have to be genuine. You have to be yourself. There's no problems with enhancing your abilities, but you got to be who you are because one of those important pieces of leading is trust. And if you try to be someone that you're not and your followers or the people who you're supposed to follow see that, then that trust is broken, right? And they're not going to want to follow you after that. So you have to be genuine. Third piece is being knowledgeable. So what is your area of responsibility? Uh, if you're the, the intel person and you're an imagery person, and this is what you are, right? So as a leader, a senior enlisted leader or a commander, if I need something for imagery, I know who to go to, right? And it's not my job to know your job. It's your job to be able to provide the right information for me. And then you break that credibility, right? Now, they, you're not that go-to person anymore. You're not that person who they can, they can depend on. And the, the second piece to that of the being knowledgeable piece is you have no idea when you speak up in a crowd of people and they know that you know what you're talking about, you are, you're instantly getting folks who are focused on you and ready to follow you because they are confident that you know exactly what you're talking about and you know your job. And and that goes a long way. Just the knowledge piece itself will have people who want to know your opinion, who want to follow you, who who wants to know because in that particular area, you're leading. You're leading by knowing. And education is key. So when I talk before how when I came in the military, I was never picking up another book a day of my life. Like I wanted to toss those high school books over a bridge and not look back. Right. This was like graduating high school. My first base I was in or I was at, I, I, I remember coming home a couple of days in a row and I was like, where's everybody at? And they was like, we're in school. I was like, what? I was like, you know what? 
I'm gonna just go start taking classes to hang out with the rest of y'all, right? And then as I started taking classes, I was like, man, okay, like this stuff is actually helpful, right? Like, like it's good to be able to uh, uh, go and expand your knowledge and learn about certain things and to have that stuff in in your uh, in your toolbox. And, and it says a lot. So and it, and there's nothing more. I didn't think that I would feel the way I felt when I got my first degree. You know, when that when that accomplishment was over, it it, it was it, it felt just like that. Like I felt accomplished. Like I've done something, and it felt good. So I went from not wanting to get uh, another take another class ever to two associates and a bachelor's and some certifications. But it's not like it's like it's work. It's like oh, like just something that helps benefit me and it adds to my credibility that I have this education or this background behind me and I got this piece of paper hanging on the wall that maybe like, you know, I'm, I know I could talk on this particular uh, subject or I could do this because that adds credibility and that it increases the level of the, the amount of people that want to follow you because they know, you know what, he, he's not just talking to be talking. He actually like has experience in this or he knows this or he's worked with this and, and that goes a long way. Uh, for folks. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Chief. Those are super solid. And I'm certain that I've seen, you know, different ways of putting that all together. I know I've given some of that to my students when I was an instructor. Colin, any thoughts? Yeah. So I just want to summarize for the audience, the Chief's main points here, lead yourself, lead by example, starting by leading yourself, even if you're not in a leadership position be genuine to yourself and then be knowledgeable, continue that education, continue that development so that you can establish credibility and be ready to serve when called upon. Actually, if, if I could add, uh, add one more, um, and, and this is not what I usually tell, especially like the high school cadets or so forth, uh, but I think it is crucial. And I definitely make sure I tell my NCOs and my CNCOs, uh, SCGOs as well, um, that I think is also very important. And if, uh, if you guys ever read the Five Levels of Leadership, which is a, a, a great book, but a part of that when you're starting to decrease your level is uh, producing other leaders. Um, so I think that's very, I think that goes a long way. I'm not just out here telling folks, hey, do this because I did it. I'm telling you to do it because one day you'll replace me. And I can't go out and lead a thousand folks right now but if i got cncos that all have a hundred apiece i can lead those and develop those folks to be able to take my place which in turn i'm hoping that they're doing that with the folks that's under them and right and it starts that ripple effect right and one day like i'm going to hang this uniform up and hopefully that person who i've hopefully had influence on in the past is going to take my spot and they're going to use those same tactics to be able to not only lead themselves and lead others but take it that next step and then develop other leaders and develop leaders who are also developing other leaders. I love it. It reminds me of the analogy, the metaphor of the apple tree. The apple tree doesn't exist to produce apples, but the apple tree pro exists to produce other apple trees. Same thing goes for leaders, whether enlisted or officer, same deal applies that we don't exist strictly to accomplish the mission and to lead other people, but we exist as leaders to produce other leaders. I love it, Chief. Thanks for sharing that with us. Absolutely. So I appreciate your, you sharing your 
a leadership philosophy and some of the advice that can be applied to any prospective officer or officers that are already in the Air Force are enlisted airmen, they can latch onto that inf- that advice as well. Being the the command chief for the home center, knowing that there are many officer instructors within uh, our organization, what sort of advice would you provide to the officer instructors themselves, those who are engaged in the work of producing other leaders? I, I, I tip my hat off to the instructors uh, that we have. And before I answer that, um, so one of the things Joe Niemeyer was very, a, a super big advocate of since he's been in the seat is making sure we have the right officers that's doing this. And there's been that perception that, you know, we don't have, either we don't get the, the right selection of folks or the career fields want to keep those good folks with them instead of being able uh, to let these guys go and be able to teach others. And I think that's very important. And he feels those very important as well, that we have the best training our next generation to make them the best. Uh, so the, the advice uh, that I would have for those instructors, number one, um, first I would say thank you for the sacrifice that you guys make. Like you guys, that you come in and you're instructing those folks, uh, but it's very crucial because they're going to leave you and come into your active duty and they're going to take the advice that you gave them and, and they're going to they're going to initially use it and then they're going to tailor it on what they would see or what they are experiencing, whatever unit that they're in. So for those instructors, I say, hey, number one, don't sugarcoat anything. Like the Air Force isn't perfect, but it's great. And it's a lot better than uh, a lot of things. Like I wouldn't trade this career in for anything or what we do for anything. But you don't have to sugarcoat it to make it seem like, hey, every, every day is going to be great because it's not, <laughs> uh, you know, but we have to prepare those and, and make, prepare those guys for that and, and preparing them to be resilient. And that's a big thing that we're doing now is we're teaching and we're like hammering home like you have to be resilient. And how do you cope when you're going through those bad times? How do you cope when you come in and you find out you're not stranded as the top officer? Uh, how do you cope when you come in and, you know, your airman or someone that you're leading is not giving you that respect or, or not listening or doing their own thing that you just can't get them in line? Those type of things is besides just the academics that they're teaching them, but what are those real world and those experiences that you have that you can pass to them? And and then what can you learn from them, and them as well? Like So like I said, we got folks that's coming in that with backgrounds that is way different than it was like 20 years ago. And they're bringing in a lot of experiences as well. And like, so how are you um, capitalizing on what it is that they have um, as well? And a lot of the, at least the enlisted PMB side, you know, we're going into that format of not just, you know, teaching you the academic part of it, but it's more of an open circle and, and everyone being able to kind of listen to other folks' experiences and get different mindsets. And also ensuring that, that folks are doing that and and um, and then just know, like, you have to realize that you're not just coming to work just to teach a book. You know, you're teaching these folks how to be leaders in the best Air Force in the whole world. So what is it? What else besides that book are you giving those folks to prepare them for that? Uh, I think sometimes we uh, we get blinded and and think that these airmen won't benefit from the knowledge that or the experiences that we have. Like that is not as important as you would think. But when you start talking to somebody, you realize like, oh, they have no idea about this, or they have no idea about that. Let me kind of break it down 
and being able to share that experience and they, they give it to them like they don't have to take it and use it right now but they have it in that toolbox to be like you know what i remember that one time when my instructor told me this and this applies to this situation type thing so and i take my hats off to those folks because the especially you know you talk about ots and how many flights that they're pushing and they're getting all those folks in and out and and they got those instructors and they got their ti and that just helped a group them in that short amount of time. And you got the ROTC, you guys have them. And it's, I gotta say, it's, it's, it's not easier, um, but you have it for four years, right? So I think a lot of feedback that I got is, you know, you see that cadet that come in on their freshman year and you're like, he ain't gonna make it. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way he's gonna make it, right? But then you see that maturation over those next couple of years and you look at, you know, that that person's about to put on lieutenant bars, right? And that is not the same freshman that we've seen four years ago that you look at now and everything that you guys have done to teach them and to mold them and to make them better leaders and all, I mean, that's the result of that, right? And now they're taking that and they're putting those bars on and now they're going into operational Air Force, right? And so I, I, I take my hat off to you guys, but I would just say, you know, it's, it's, it's more than the books. Um, it's a lot more that the instructors are giving these guys that's, that's preparing. And I see saying guys, guys and girls, that's preparing them for coming into the to the operation Air Force. Awesome. Such great advice, Chief, on so many levels. We really appreciate you taking the time to meet with us today and share your knowledge and experience with 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 us. I think Reed and I are just basking in in your wisdom here you know we've learned over our time in the air force and give this recommendation to everyone in our audience when a chief speaks just shut up and listen (laughs) (laughs) no i i I promise you this is this is experience and this is what i i love doing i didn't come in thinking like hey you know what i'm going to be an influence on a lot of people this is just you find your your reason you, you find your why um, as, as, as the book Start With Why will say, you find your why and, 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 and this is what I love to do. Like, I don't think I have a specialty. Uh, my specialty is, is people and being able to help people and, and, and show them my experiences and this and, and, and so forth, which is why, like, I, I love being here at the home center. I get to, there's no, there's not many other units that can say, hey, I got over 1,000 locations across the world. Of, of nothing but folks who our job is either to develop and, and make them officers or in the, at the JRTC level, develop them just to make them great citizens, right? So, um, and, and a lot of folks don't get that. A lot of folks don't understand, you know, we have JRTC cadets who may not have families at home, who may be homeless, who, who maybe have no one to depend on it and get advice from, but all they have is that JRTC core and those cadets that's around them. And being able to to see that, and a lot of those folks medically or or for other reasons will never come into the Air Force, right? Because they just don't fit the standards that you will need in the Air Force. But that doesn't take away our our desire to want to build those folks to be great people and great citizens. And then when we get to the OTS and JOTC level, we're doing nothing but producing, and we're sending our product around the Air Force those lieutenants that's, that's coming in, we're sending that all around the Air Force. So 85% of the officers come through the home center or commissioned through the home center. And then that other piece is the Air Force Academy. But our product is getting sent all around the Air Force to do our mission. 
right? And that's something that we got to take seriously. And being able to be a part of that and then being able to influence those that I can influence um, to make that happen is probably the most rewarding job that I've, that I've had. Awesome. Thank you so much, Chief, for taking the time to share that with us. I've got two more questions for you. First one is, if someone wants to reach out to you, get in touch with you, ask some questions about what it's like being a command chief, maybe they've got some ideas for JROTC, ROTC, OTS, or anything like that. What's the best way for someone to get in touch with you? Absolutely. So, um, so like I said, I just figured out somewhat of the social media thing, right? So in, uh, on Facebook, uh, if, you, if you search Home Center Command Chief, you'll find my page there, and you can send me a message on Instagram. Uh, this Home Center CCC, uh, you can find me on there um, as well. And you'll see some of the pictures that I'm able to, you know, get out when I'm out with people or with the airmen and the CEOs is on there as well. And then uh, my Gmail is evansjer80 at gmail.com. Awesome. Thanks, Chief. And we'll make sure to link that contact information in the show notes so people can find it there. Last question for you, Chief. What does it mean to be an officer? I believe that, you know, to be an officer, and I don't think, I don't think this advice would be different from being enlisted. Um, I think that to be an officer, your job, your mission, regardless of what it is, is important. And if you look at, if you not, if you don't look at just your bird's eye view of, you know, I'm in charge of this CE flight right now, but what does that CE flight do? And what does that CE squadron do? You have to, uh, you have to understand that. And that so the, the responsibility that you have, not just as an officer, but as an enlisted person, your job reaches a lot further than what you think it reaches. And that's a lot that's on someone's uh, shoulders. Um, so, so to be, I, I would say an airman, instead of just an officer, but just to be an airman, your job, I think it's 1%, of the nation is able to even put this uniform on and to be the officer that 66,000 versus the 280 or so um, enlisted or vice versa, just being part of that 322 is, is so important and is a, so much bigger than us. And, and when you realize that, you know, this isn't about just me or just this flight or this squadron, this is about the base and the Air Force and the Department of Defense and uh, the NDS and all that's uh, the stuff that guides us and, and, and kind of gives us our priorities. That's what this thing is about. I mean, that's what our responsibilities are as airmen, uh, officer or enlisted, to be able to, uh, to make sure that mission gets accomplished. Awesome. Thanks, Chief. All right. We'll go ahead and leave it there. A huge thanks to you, Chief, for taking time out of your schedule to share your thoughts and experiences with us. I've certainly learned a great deal from our discussion that will help me and the rest of our audience to be better officers. Again, thank you, and we look forward to seeing your career progress, especially as you continue leading the effort to produce quality officers for our Air Force. Thanks, Chief. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Commission Ed. Thank you for listening to Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. The views and opinions of the authors expressed herein do not state or reflect those of the government and shall not be used for advertising or product endorsement purposes. 
mention of any specific commercial products, process, or service by trade name, trademark, manufacturer, or otherwise does not necessarily constitute nor imply its endorsement, recommendation, or favoring by the U.S. government. The mention of companies by name is solely for the purpose of discussion and should not be implied as endorsement.